0: Welcome to another episode of The Millennial Project, a lifestyle podcast where we discuss fitness, beauty, career, and more. And now the host of the show, here's Danielle.
1: back to another episode of the millennial project this is episode 7 i'm danielle and you guys i am not kidding this is going to be one of your favorite episodes it is definitely mine it doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl you are going to learn so much about dating and relationships and marriage and the functionality and dynamics of all of those for me personally this guest has a way of bringing a sense of renewal back to my relationship and bringing me back to the why and the main purpose and why you love them I am so excited for you guys to be able to listen to Trish and her magic. She is a mentor of mine, and we've known each other for over five years now. She's coached me in so many facets of my life, not just my relationship, and every conversation with her is extremely valuable. I'm so glad that I get to share this with you, and with that, let's welcome to the show Trish and Sina. Okay. Welcome. Thank you for being here.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. It's been a while and all of my conversations with you
1: have always been fun. So I'm happy to do it on a more formal stage for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, So I want to dive right in. You are a guru with love relationships. You've made a profession, bringing people together, falling in love. Uh, Your company's name is Tenora and I just wanted to talk about how you created that and a little bit about that to start.
0: Sure. So I started my company eight years ago formally, but I've been matchmaking for 16 years. I knew that I wanted to be a matchmaker once I had deferred med school. Um, I ended up writing my first business plan And from writing my first business plan, decided to reverse engineer my way into becoming a matchmaker because I realized that a lot of people in my life who absolutely loved what they were doing for a living didn't necessarily make the income that they wanted. And then I knew a lot of people who like hated their jobs and absolutely loved the income they were making. And I'm like, screw that, I want both. So I had said, well, why don't I do private equity? I'll make a ton of money, I'll save a lot of it. And then when I... I'll do that for 10 years and then I'll retire at 40 and do matchmaking. And whether it makes money or not, it wouldn't matter. And so I ended up, you know, working at a PE firm. The difference was I ended up recognizing that the capacity to do matchmaking successfully came a lot earlier than I had anticipated. So I jumped ship. I started working for a national dating service. I learned for one year, they leveraged my book of business. I got to um, share with them everything I knew about Boston and the affluent, educated, progressive demographic because that was what they needed. And I got to learn the business, and it was a very mutually beneficial relationship. Fast forward a year later, um, we parted ways happily. I started my company, and Tenora was born. The reason I call the company Tenora is because I was on this radio show, uh, local radio show in Boston called Maddie in the Morning, and Maddie said, "You know, Trish, what do you tell um, the average girl who wants a bride Pitt?" And I said, "Well, for me, the reality is, if you want a ten, you need to be a ten, and so that ten can be your version of a ten, but it, you need to be aligned with what you're looking to achieve in a partner." And for me, when I was thinking through my company, I knew that helping people become the best version of themselves, like their 10, was how they were going to show up with that amazing aura that everyone gravitates to. And so I took 10 and aura and I put it together and that's how I got to Nora. Um, So yeah, the whole premise is really just helping people become and show up the greatest version of themselves so they can attract that relationship that they really want, that partnership that they've been looking for.
1: I love that. I know a lot of a lot of the females that listen to the show are very entrepreneurial and want to start their own business someday, myself included, obviously. And um, you know that brings amazing insight. And also, I'm a firm believer that what you put out is what you're going to receive from the universe, and like not even just in relationships, just in life. Like, yeah, just the more that you like compound that good energy, like the more it's just going to reward you. So I'm, yeah, firm believer in that. I love it. So I kind of want to structure this interview just from the beginning of a relationship and just kind of like have it progress through, you know, I want to start with something that is an easy one, maybe just how to impress on a first date and, you know, what questions to ask and what to avoid. Sure. So What I tell everyone is
0: that the sexiest thing in the world, the most exciting thing you can bring to a first date or any date for that matter is confidence. It is undeniably something that people are gravitated to. It's when you recognize that all of a sudden you're attracted to someone that is totally outside of the physical norm you may be used to or the desire that you might be interested in or the look so confidence by far is the number one thing that I say, if you take that on dates, you'll have a successful date, even if it's not with the person you're going to end up with. Then the other two elements go hand in hand. And these kind of, these are the, the tripod of, of what I believe makes a successful date is you have to be interesting and you also have to be interested So a lot of people have experienced that date with someone who just will not shut up about how amazing they are and everything they have going on and how great they are. They just go on and on. And you're like, Oh my gosh, this person doesn't even give me a second to talk. And then when you try to, they're like, keep going. And then a lot of people have experienced the opposite side of that, where it's like pulling teeth to get someone to answer questions or to volley questions back. So You have to go to a date knowing what actually makes you interesting. And unique. And the funny thing is that a lot of people don't know that. Like a lot of people think, you know, I like to go out and like go to bars or drink or have good food. Like is not interesting at all. Like everyone likes that if you're typically in a space and dating someone that's around your age. So I would say first definitely know, you know, what's interesting about yourself so that when you go to the date, You have actual golden nuggets of who you are that you get to share with someone. And then the second part of that is then being interested. You have to be prepared to ask great questions. And what I always tell people, and I'll share with you because you asked directly for a few questions that I think are really important to ask, but taking a step back, understanding what's actually important to you is number one. If you are in a position you know, when people meet me, they're in a position where they're looking for a serious relationship. No one is referred to me because they just want to like date people and have a good time. So if you're in that place, live it up, enjoy it, have a grand time. But if you're not in that phase, if you're like, I really want to meet someone, I, I want to meet my husband or my wife, whatever the case may be, understanding that, how serious that is for you, you cannot get swept up in the emotions that comes would be really excited by someone and the part of your brain that makes all rational decisions is completely clouded and flooded with neurochemicals. If you try to just ride that wave and you're not intentional at all, you end up falling really hard and not really understanding why. So kind of to get back to your question, cause I just want to take it a step back. So people knew I, I'm coming from a position of advice and questions. Someone should ask if they want something serious, show up to the date, confident, show up knowing what makes you interesting, and then definitely be interested in the questions I always think are important. If you're, again, the person that wants something serious, ask them about their relationship with intimacy. What does that look like? How does it feel for them? What is intimacy to them? Even just having that very simple understanding. Second, emotional vulnerability. I cannot tell you how many times people come to me and ask me, Months after dating someone, like, oh, he just won't open up. Or, oh, she totally stonewalls. And I'm like, you're just finding this out. Like, you had no idea that they were not very emotional vulnerable. You have to know this ahead of time. And so their relationship with emotional vulnerability, what that looks like. um, One of the biggest and most important things um, that I tell anyone who speaks to me, whether it's a client, a family member, a friend, is before you say you love someone, you have had to see and experience what conflict looks like with that person. Because conflict resolution style is definitely a deal breaker. And so it may not show up in that first fight or that second fight, because you can swallow it because they're so hot or they're um, so energetic, or they have the money and the lifestyle you want, but eventually down the road, that conflict resolution style that is not for you will become a deal breaker. So asking your person on a date, you know, what's your conflict resolution style? Sometimes that, even that phrasing needs to be broken down a bit. So the question could be like, when was the last time you were like enraged when somebody in somebody or something just, Made you feel like you could see red what did what was that? What did that feel like? What did it look like because it 's important to understand how someone is going to deal with conflict internally first because then it 's going to show up to you and you 're the partner and you know as everyone says and it 's as old as time take out our demons on the people we love most you know it's awful but that's who we do and so you're going to want to know what those demons look like so those three questions are really really important their relationship with intimacy emotional vulnerability and their conflict resolution style the last question i would say that's really important is if you want to commit a relationship asking someone in a first date What are your thoughts about committed relationships and what that looks like is an incredible way to have very upfront their understanding of a committed relationship without it being about you and that person. You can never see that person again, or they could be someone that you want to date. But asking the serious questions on first dates, and this is when most people fail is then when they actually want to know, then it's awkward because now they feel like they don't want to put pressure or they don't want to make them feel like they're nagging them or they don't want to feel like awkward. If you ask on a first and second date, the questions are not about you and the person. Same thing with children. You know, do you ever see yourself having children? You ask a question like that first and second date, it's a question the stranger is asking. If you ask that in six months, absolutely the person's going to know that you're asking about For you guys. And that's where it becomes very tricky. So I say ask all the tough questions up front because one of my philosophies in life is fail fast, fail fast. (laughs) So, um, and then the very last thing I would say, just to this question cluster and regarding questions on a date, is that if you are in a position, where you forget every question that you should ask, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I heard this podcast and this matchmaker gave me all these great questions. I don't remember any of them. The one thing I always tell everyone, just remember this one thing, ask why. Over and over and over again. Like if you were a five-year-old. So they say something like, you know, it could be as simple as the weather. Oh, wow, the weather today was gorgeous. And like, oh, what made it gorgeous for you? Like, people don't ask that. And they're like, well, I was able to go outside and go for a walk or go for a run. And like, oh, do you like running? Is that something? And all of a sudden, you're having a much deeper question. And all you're doing is asking why a follow-up question to everything they're answering. And all of a sudden, you're getting, you end up going deep. And that's, some, that's a very easy technique anyone can use. Just keep digging down through the questions they're in, already answering um, without having to
1: come up with new questions. So that is, (laughs) I hope I answered your question. But Yeah, no, I love it. No, you answered the question and then gave takeaways, which is awesome. I love takeaways because it just makes it so much better. Yeah, you've gone on the first or second date and you said, you know, you can get swept up, obviously. So what I guess should be essentially the feeling after that date to know it was a good one and to know that you should have another one? So I always tell people, if you know what you're looking for, worry
0: less about the feeling because, and I I could use myself as a perfect example, I was engaged four times before my husband and all of the people that I was engaged to before, I had the most insane butterflies and nervous stomach and, you know, essentially dopamine and serotonin was like flooded my brain and oxytocin and like, it wasn't in this insatiable. I cannot wait to be with that person. And then I realized, you know, four times over, that probably isn't the best indicator of someone being a lifelong partner. And so I ended up meeting my husband in a very different place of my life and post therapy and internal coaching and several books and I realized that I needed to really know what I wanted and that knowing what you wanted does not necessarily have to be attached to the feelings. It could, it could totally be. So I don't want to say that if you're all excited like that, that person can't be the person. Um, But for me, my story, there was so much more pragmatic thought process behind choosing and staying and engaging with Nick as, you know, through the courtship process. And then, you know, now it's been almost 10 years. And so it's, it's a very different feeling of yes, validation that this is what I want out of a relationship. And that feeling is not the same as butterflies. So butterflies are not bad. Feel those butterflies, feel the nervous stomach. But after that goes away, if you're feeling super low and you don't feel validated in what you want, then that's where you realize that the person in front of you probably wasn't the right person to begin with. But because all of your logical part of your brain was clouded, you really couldn't identify that early on. So knowing what you really want is like, unbelievably necessary before determining if how you're feeling about someone could be something real or not.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I also think that like for me personally, I had to get it wrong a few times to know what was right. And I love that sense of like security and safety. And that for me trumps butterflies 100%. It's just knowing like, you know, this person has a great relationship with their family. And that's something that's extremely important to me and has traditions in their life. Like that for me is so important and something that I didn't have that I want to bring into my family someday. And like to know that that person even just has, you know, Christmas traditions, like I know it's so small, but just to like know that they have that and that's special to them is like, it just makes me feel so much more secure and more safe. And like that safety feeling is so calming. And I would much rather have that calming feeling than the like nervous feeling that you're riding on a roller coaster.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's a very highly elevated, emotionally intelligent, wise choice. I mean, there are so many people right now that are on the roller coaster. And when the roller coaster stops, they're just looking for the next roller coaster. And if someone doesn't give them that high, then they're like, this is not the one. And so people miss out on, on incredible life altering love chasing the high.
1: Right. Okay. So say you've gone on a few dates, you've had those butterflies in your stomach. Uh, You know, you are dating, but the honeymoon phase is wearing off. You know, you have little difficulties that come into play. I have a couple different scenarios that have come up in my life and my friend's life that I want to run by you just to see what your response is. We have one person who finds out that, you know, they've got their dream job in another city. And that city is four hours away driving or one hour plane ride, but essentially, you know, you're in a long distance relationship now. Like, what does that look like? Say you've been dating for like 10 months.
0: Yeah. So I say if you're in a position where you've dated someone for 10 months, you should have a very good idea that that's this person you want to spend at least a significant chapter of your life. So when I say significant chapter, I'm talking about multiple years. I'm not talking about just dating. Um, if you've given, if you've been intentional, you've given someone ten months, and your both parties are aligned, you guys are making life decisions together. And so in this case, I would say each person has to be very well aware of their needs as an individual and in their partnership. And I think that that's usually where we get really confused and really lost on what we think relationships are supposed to look like and what they're not and comparing with other relationships. Every person's different. So everyone's needs are different. And then you take the fact that every individual's different and you're putting them together into couples, that couple's needs are going to look very, very different. So I love to use the example of, my husband and I, because this really paints a clear picture of understanding what your needs are and what they're not. I'm an extreme extrovert. My husband is a thousand percent on the other side, an extreme introvert. And I love, you know, pre-COVID, I love to be around my friends and my family and meeting new people. And my husband could never meet another new person in his life and he would be happy. I say that because... In our relationship, you know, again, pre-pandemic, I traveled so much. We barely saw each other um, regularly during the seven days a week. But we decided that, you know, six hours Friday from four o'clock on was our date night. And, you know, going on 10 years pre-pandemic, we stuck to that. I mean, my friends, my family, everyone knew. If they called or texted me, I was part of a group chain. You could see them saying, Oh, Trisha's gonna reply, it's Friday night to so the date night. And so for Nick and I, quality far outweighed quantity. And for some people, the quantity matters more. And some people want that person sitting next to them every single day, even if they're not talking, they just want to physically feel them there. And so knowing and understanding that from yourself and out of your partner is really important, especially if you're gonna become a long distance relationship? Can both of you be okay with that? Do you have parameters around when you are going to be together? What that looks like? How do you refill each other's cup or, you know, um, love tank when you do get to re-engage? So is it possible? Absolutely. You can have a very successful relationship long distance. That version of long distance, um, you would just really have to know what each
1: person's Part in making sure the other one felt connected looks like (laughs) absolutely, and I think that that touches on like love languages too, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. Mitch Mitch and I have opposite love languages. Mine is acts of service and quality time, and his is physical touch and words of affirmation. I feel like a lot of men have that combo. I feel Mm -hmm. like that's very common, it is a very common male.
0: male love languages for sure they're my husband's also and so I I think that at the end of the day to your point understanding the love language it's funny to mention it only because I didn't want to derail from from maybe your viewership not knowing love languages but understanding how you receive and give love is fundamentally important in a successful relationship Especially if you're going to be with someone who doesn't share or receive love the way you do. You have to learn the new language. It's like, you know, if you were Asian and they were Spanish and you spoke Mandarin and they spoke Spanish, if you wanted to have a successful relationship with that person, you better start learning Spanish and they better start learning Mandarin. It's the same thing with love languages.
1: Yeah. I think that was honestly the biggest revelation in our relationship was just knowing that that's what he wanted and knowing that I sucked at it. Like right. just knowing, yeah. like, I don't know how to open up to you with words in the way yeah. that you can, but I know that that's what you want me to do. So right. like, even if it sounds awful or just like makes me cringe to say yeah. all these gushy things, like I know that that's what you want me to say. So I'm just going to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that is That is how you speak
0: love into somebody's life that you care about. You have to speak it to them in the language they receive.
1: Absolutely. And honestly, like learning that too, like went over my relationship and even just like relationships with my family and like my siblings and just like friends and knowing like, okay, there are friends that like, I need to just put my phone down for the entire time we're together or, you know what I mean? Like there are just friends that you, you know, you go and pick up food for like, there are just like different dynamics of relationships that it just is like so eye-opening. So for anyone that doesn't know their love language or their partners, I would highly suggest taking the quiz. It takes all of 10 minutes and it's, yeah, extremely important. Well, it's free online through yeah. Love languages.com. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so second scenario is you're in the same city. This is like one of my friends. She's in the same city as her significant other and they work opposite schedules. So she works eight to six, Monday through Friday. They work nights and weekends. They're in the service industry. It's like they really rarely ever get to see each other. What do you suggest?
0: So this is when I say, so that's where I was, um, Kind of early into my relationship with Nick because I I was in private equity working 100 hour weeks and so I say you have to recognize what's your long term goal with that person. If you see that you're going to be in in this example both both parties in the service industry or both parties in careers that are never going to allow for them to t- take time, this is where they have to ask themselves: Does that work for us? Like, could we sustain? a fulfilling relationship when we don't get to see each other. And I would say, though, even working, you know, 80 hours a week or, you know, 60 hours a week um, in the service industry or any industry, there is the opportunity to make the elements or the part of your life that's not work together purposeful. So instead of, you know, you're exhausted because you worked all night and then you wake up late because you, you know, went to at four in the morning or whatever, instead of just staying in bed or whatever your normal routine is, maybe it's not staying in bed, but whatever your normal routine is, maybe take one or two days and incorporate an out of the box date night. And so maybe your date night because you guys are in the service industry isn't a Friday night. Maybe it's Wednesdays from 12 to five and it's a lunch and you really are intentional with each other and you alternate between the activities that you do and your partner chooses versus you choosing. And maybe that day, maybe Wednesdays, you both don't sleep as much as you normally would, but it allows for you to have six six hours or five hours of really quality time. And you guys get to make it what you want. And so I, I believe that that's very possible. Even when schedules rotate, if the day, let's say you get your schedule for that week on Sundays or Mondays or whatever day of the week you get, you guys get your schedules, Picking when your date, you know, when your five hours are going to be whose turn that week it is to plan what you guys are going to do. And, and this could be even during pandemic, you know, this could be an at home picnic. It can be a book that you guys share together. It can be a workout. I mean, bonding and connecting with your partner does not mean you're sitting at a fancy restaurant having dinner together. That is like the least creative thing to think about for date night. Um, but the whole point is that you stop life and you focus on each other. I would say, though, for the relationships that are in the position where they don't get to see each other, um, they should implement the no screens rule. So my husband and I, for date night, since, again, a nine, 10 years, almost going, November would be 10 years, um, our date night, no screens. That's why when I'm on group text, people are like, she's not going to reply. Like, we have those six hours, and there are no screens. And so I do feel that people who have limited time should make sure that they eliminate the distraction so they can really be all in with the person.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I can 100% tell the difference between a date where we are just like fully vibing and connecting one on one. And when it's just a little bit lackluster. And I think the difference is really the screens and the distraction and whether or not you're really connecting. And like peeling back those layers and asking why and getting into those maybe difficult conversations that you even have three years later. Like there are still conversations where you may disagree or you really just want to know like where they're coming from. Like you still learn things, you know, way down the line. and You should always
0: learn new things and desire to learn new things. Right.
1: And it comes, I, I think it definitely comes from asking why and just like peeling back the layers of like where is this coming from? Is there something I should know? Like, all those questions are, are super important. Okay, so let's just say last scenario is everything's going well timing-wise, you spend great time together, but maybe there's an external conflict with parents or friends, or how would you figure out that solution?
0: Yeah, so I first would get to the root of what's causing the conflict, um, because sometimes especially in partnerships, we assume we know what's really causing the conflict um, or what's really bothering our partner or creating the tension. So step one is truly make sure you have a very crystallized idea of what is causing the tension. Because what happens is that's truly the most difficult conversation because someone has to tell you why they don't like someone you love or care about. And that's a very hard, but you have to give your partner the space to do that and not be defensive about it because there's just, it's, it's not about you and humans very easily um, and quickly personalize things in general but we deeply personalize things when you talk about people we care and love about, right? Like, don't don't say that about my friend. Don't say that about my family. Like, I'll crush you. And what you need to do is separate who you are and how much your person loves and cares for you and what they're sharing with you about why they don't get along or have an issue or conflict with someone you care about. It's not about you. And you getting upset and bothered by it you're making it about you. And if you really want to get through and pass that awkwardness, that tension, you need to allow them the stage to share truly what the issue is. That's step one. <laughs> so allow them to share. Step two is recognize and acknowledge and validate that how they feel is real, right? Feelings are real. It doesn't matter if they're totally asinine or crazy to you or like how not logical is that thought process. It, that is irrelevant because somebody feels that way. That's how they feel, period. They're, you cannot fight that somebody shouldn't feel the way they feel. So validating and acknowledging how they feel is step two. And then step three is letting go of your personal issues around their issues about someone you care about and that's really hard just in general but the irony is that once you let it go there is this ease that comes with the reality that your partner does not have to like and love everybody you do it doesn't matter how close they are to you it could be your mom it can be your dad it it doesn't matter now where they obviously you have to draw lines. And, and those are the boundaries to you is if, if that person doesn't like your family member, f- uh, friend to the point that they're going to be rude or disrespectful. I mean, that's a whole other scenario. But if you know, that aside, if we're talking about, oh, I don't want to go to your parent's house because your mom's so annoying. It's like, Thank you for sharing that. Let's talk about what makes you annoying. What makes her annoying to you? Like, I genuinely want to know, you know, I'm on your team here. They share with you what it is and you cannot personalize it. And then you're like, okay, I could see that. I could see why my mom asking you 200 questions or the expectation she has on you can be overwhelming, unnecessarily um, pressure filling. And you're not interested in that. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I acknowledge how you feel. I could see where you're coming from. And then, okay, well, we're going to be together forever. And that's our plan. And the idea that you'll never come to my family's house is off the table. So let's talk through what is reasonable for you to do for me, right? So I'll acknowledge that every time is, is not going to be our jam. What feels comfortable to you? And that's where you get to talk through what an active actual plan of someone you love or your partner being around someone else you care about that they may not like what that looks like and it can be once a quarter you know every four months or you know what or once every three months or once a month you know depending how often you see these people and how much you want them to see I say this because I very much live that my husband like I mentioned is an extreme introvert and he rather know no new people and I do you know a dozen plus galas, both spring and winter gala season. And I he, I get to pick two, one for each season that he goes to, and that's it. And I go to all the rest by myself. That's our agreement. That's what works for us. So understanding that from your partner is really important. Like, don't change them. You don't need to change them. If that's your expectation, you're with the wrong person. It's acknowledging and accepting who they are. And then, okay, with this information, how do we create a plan that works for both parties. Both people have to concede. That's kind of, I think, the most effective way in dealing with someone who may not be excited, interested, or want to be
1: around a family or friend that you care about. I think that's so helpful. That just, like, spoke to me on, like, so (laughs) many levels. Like, it was just, like, you just have this way of, like, bringing back a sense of, like, renewal and understanding of my relationship and just any relationship, you're just like, it's just so many like aha moments and you just have such an eloquent way of putting it. So it's just amazing. I'm sure everyone's just writing all this stuff down. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. So I want to talk about a healthy slash normal argument looks like in conflict resolution, you know, like, are you a fan of going to bed without, you know, with the fight being over or like what that looks like? Typically, like Mitch and I, most of the arguments we have are really just due to a lack of communication and just for being extremely hungry, one or the other. <laughs> but... Um, sure. So I see this. There is no
0: wrong or right way to fight if both parties in the relationship agree to that style. So the reason I say this is There are incredibly amazing tools out there that one can use to help through conflict. And for the people who are in a space where they want to gain knowledge and empower themselves and grow emotionally and really get intimate with their partner on a level around conflict, then you'd want to use those tools. And the first and most difficult is listening, it is, people think it's easy, it is so hard to listen to how someone else feels when you wanna throw them out a window. Like, it just, it's like the most difficult thing in the world to do. It's like, yes, oh my gosh, I hear you, when you just want them to stop talking. The second, and if you could believe it's even harder, is validating their feelings, and this goes back to what I said last time. You need to acknowledge how they feel, even if you're like, are you out of your mind? Like, how could you possibly feel that way? Nope, that is not what you tell your partner. You tell your partner, okay, I can understand how from your perspective, given the information you just shared because you were listening and you know, that you could see it that way. I I acknowledge and I validate That's how you feel is real to you. And I thank you for sharing that. Most people are not fighting like that. Most people are not trying to solve conflict, beginning with listening and then acknowledging and validating. The last is apologize. And so for some people, apologies is like super easy. Like I could apologize and forget about like something never, like it never happens before. That is who I am. I'm very grateful for it. You know, once once someone acknowledges what they do and apologize, it's like it never happened. Like, great, thanks, moving on. For some people, it is so hard for them to apologize. But you need to practice. You need to practice realizing that when you're in a partnership, it's not about how you feel all the time. And when your partner needs to be acknowledged and validated, being able to share an apology for your contribution of how she or he got to the place they are is vital and important. And it's not about blame and it's not about he said, she said, or or you're right or I'm wrong. It's about just acknowledging how the person feels. And so many couples get caught up in who's right and wrong they lose the forest for the trees. They're so stuck in this very granular, minute, tiny detail. And I'm sure people who are listening, and, and I'm sure you, Dee, from the conversations we've had, you get so stuck down this rabbit hole of all these little things that you're like, you've lost completely the big picture, which is that your partner wanted to feel heard and they wanted to be acknowledged and they wanted to be validated. But instead, you personalized it, got defensive, and we're building a case around why how they feel is wrong and how you feel is right. And that is just the wrong way to look at it. So like a very, very high level, the most functional conflict resolution is immediately recognizing that you are both on the same team. If you could do that, it is like game over. Because now you guys are no longer fighting each other. You're fighting the issue. So you're like, okay, here's a problem. Now let's tackle it together on the same team. Versus here's a problem. It's your fault. It's your fault. You're wrong. I'm right. And so that is probably the biggest, most helpful way to frame conflict is try to tackle it together as a team. The problem is the issue not each other and then acknowledging and validating how the other person feels even if in your brain you're like how can this person even feel this way like i don't even understand but they do and you have to acknowledge it and you have to validate it um so that's kind of my go-to for conflict resolution regarding going to sleep going to bed upset If one person in the relationship is now going to have restless sleep because there was not a resolution to the argument, then I would say, do not do that. That is so not cool to sleep peacefully while your partner is tossing and turning because there wasn't a resolution to your conflict. However, if both parties don't care, then by all means, give it a moment, give it a beat wake up refreshed with a new frame of mind and capacity to um, think through it. What I will say, though, is that sometimes for people who are processors, and typically this is men, they're not good at conflict resolution in the moment. They need to process. And for women who are like, let's talk about this now and let's solve it right now and let's figure out how we get to the next level, that's not conflict resolution that will work for both parties. So sometimes part of your conflict resolution plan is when there is an issue that arrives, let's give each other four hours. You guys pick it, the rules are for you to make. Let's, pick, let's take four hours, four hours for us to decompress, for us to really think about it, and then let's set a time for us to talk about it. And then that allows someone who is a processor to really get kind of their bearings on how they feel. And also, especially for someone who's not used to sharing their feelings, trying to gun them with questions and how we fix this is going to be the fastest way you don't get a solution to your issue.
1: That's yeah, that's great advice. I think it's so funny. You said the processor. I think that's me, honestly, like I think I need to step away or I'm going to say something I don't mean and it's just going to come out wrong or or just rude. And for Mitch, he's like, like I don't want you to walk away from this conversation because it shows you don't care you're not listening to what I have to say but for me I'm like I need space and I can't look at you or I'll start you know saying mean things so like it's really difficult for me to stay in the room but I know that's what he wants so I do it and he's definitely really good at apologizing I was not at all good at apologizing, and then I like quickly had to learn how to do that but uh, yeah. but yeah, I think our style has definitely changed a lot, and we're very good at you know clearly envisioning after the storm is over saying, "I think this is what happened, and this is how I was feeling I didn't portray it that way, but this is how I was feeling, and right. you know this is what we should do differently like we're definitely very good at like once the storm is over. Being able to say, you know, I think this is what went wrong. You know, we probably shouldn't do it this way again. Like uh, you're great at a post mortem. Exactly. <laughs> so what I will
0: say, just to the example you gave, because I think it's a lot of people's example, where one party is like, I I really do not want to engage right now. I need to process this, and the other party is like, Well, I don't feel heard if you don't stay present is that you don't have to open your mouth to listen to your partner. And that is what I was referring to earlier when I said step number one, listen. That does not involve you opening your mouth at all. And the agreement between Mitch and you can be, I will acknowledge that you need to feel heard and I will hear you. And then you will acknowledge that I need time to process And so then I will give myself and you guys decide what's a good amount of time to process. And then we'll come back and have a conversation dialogue around it. Right. So Mitch will share, you will listen, you will not open your mouth to your point and then you will take your break. You will process. And then you guys will come back together and together tackle the issue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it keeps a lot of, mean words at bay, you know, right. to be able for, to, like, have that sure. understanding.
0: For sure. No, again, you you create the formula that works for you guys, and it, it definitely helps with not saying things you don't mean,
1: especially right. at the moment. Yeah, because then it's, like, a whole other argument that you have to have later about, like, why did you say that? Did you actually mean to say that? And, right. yeah, absolutely. Now you're apologizing
0: for a whole other thing, right? Right. For-
1: yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I – just want to know obviously there are what like billions of people on the planet but no. like what is your what is your stance on soulmates or like the one one of my friends wanted to know if that's a real thing and why or why not so I have an unconventional view
0: on soulmates um so I do believe soulmates exist except not in the traditional way that when you meet your soulmate that's the person you're with forever I actually believe the opposite I think Your soulmate is a person that comes into your life and turns it upside down and cracks, bursts open your heart to allow you the light and love and the capacity to receive that for the person after them, not for them. And you have to do a lot of self-healing and looking in the mirror to put that heart back together. But when you put that heart back together and you heal, you're a new person. And that should be the new best version of you, if you heal properly and you do it the right way. And so then I believe that allows you to have a, the one for that phase, stage, or chapter of your life. I do not subscribe to the idea that there is only one person for everyone in the world. Like, Absolutely not. I believe there is someone for everyone at every chapter of their life. And for some people whose chapters don't change that much, so think of the people who grew up in a town and are still living there married with children, their life and their chapters probably are not changing so drastically that whoever they chose in college is not going to choose who they are after that. But for people who grow and evolve and their desires change, if your partner is not doing that with you, you will outgrow each other. It is just life. It will just happen the same way you will grow friends and you outgrow careers and you out or jobs rather said and you build careers. And so you will outgrow your relationships and even with marriage. And so you have to be very cognizant of when you're choosing someone to marry, if you believe in the institution of marriage or or a long-term partnership, that that person is aligned with where you're looking to end up. Because sometimes we have such a narrow view of our life and they may fit that you today, but the Danielle today may be dynamically different than the Danielle 10 years from now and then 10 years from that and then 10 years from that. And then your person could evolve with you or they, they don't. And so, more often than not, they're not, right? Historically, when you look at statistics. And I think it's because a lot has changed. But now I feel relationships are so much more thoughtful. You know, the institution of marriage, its inception was about uh, succession and financial security and support um, in a household. And children. And now marriage is all of those things, but it's also companionship and friendship and um, desire to be with someone and willingness to learn and grow. The positive to that is that it allows people to grow together longer. The negative is that we now expect, you know, Esther Perel says, and she's like my idol. We now want from one person what once a whole village used to provide us, right? We want our our partners to be our best friend, our workout buddy, our um, gossip friend, the person, our greatest critiquer, our our biggest coach, our number one fan, our cooking mate. Our, I mean, we want them to be freaking everything. And there is a major flaw in that thought process. Um, but that is kind of at a high level, my belief system around the one is that there is a, the one for you in every stage of your life. That, that is my belief. And that I do believe soulmates exist, but not because that's a person you need to be with forever. It's because that's a person that will change your life forever. And yes, for some people, they do stay with their soulmates, but it's
1: in my
0: opinion, a very rare occurrence.
1: Okay. Just On that, do you think that having those conversations about where you see yourself in 10, 20, 30 years is important to align both of your visions of where you see the future and hoping that you can stay together?
0: Yeah, so it is a huge um, conversation that you absolutely want to have with your partner if you see life long-term with your partner, right? Like if you're in a relationship and you're like, I could myself marrying this person, then you absolutely want to have this conversation. You know, Dee, you're a perfect example that right now you're in a position where your life allows you to move every six months or every year. You know, you're very flexible and you're like, it's just us. If you get married and you have children, is that the life you could still live? Have you had that conversation with Mitch? Because if you see yourself having your children move schools every year, then you don't have to have a conversation. But if you're like, there's no way, I want a home, I want a community, I want my children to be a part of that, then you need to make sure that you have that clear and your timeline clear because Mitch is like, will very easily could tell you like, but we've always done this. Like, why would you think it was gonna change? We make so much more money doing this, um, this way. Why would you see it differently? And um, that's where you would have to have concessions, right? And maybe he's, you know, like athletes where they're just not home for six months. <laughs> Um, But again, these are the conversations you absolutely want to have. If you see yourself traveling the world, if you see international travel or uh, stays outside of the city, the person met you when you're living being a part of your life, that's something that they should know and be a part of. If you see yourself wanting children sooner or later, doesn't matter, you have to have that conversation. Um, if legal marriage is something that matters to you, you want to have the conversation all of these things are really important. And these things are the things back to the beginning of the interview that I believe you should ask in the beginning, because it's no, it's not personal then, you know, it's not this awkward conversation a year into dating, you know, that very much makes it about you and that person.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. I think if I could do it over again, I would do what you said and ask, asked that in the very beginning, I think, especially because Mitch is slightly younger than I am. So yeah. that pressure of like the marriage and the kids and all of that, like he is a couple of years behind. So what I know at almost 26 is so much different. Like every year of your twenties, you grow in an insane amount. So it would be faulty for me to put that pressure on him knowing where I was two years ago. And just like having to reflect on that and saying like, okay. It may happen a little later but that doesn't mean it's going to mean anything less and just knowing what that expectation looks like of you know my five-year plan is like i'm going to be in my 30s so i need to know what that looks like and you know i'm not going to waste any time here like i need to know when am i going to be having children like when should i be buying that house to settle down in that cul-de-sac you know like knowing that we're on the same page for that but you brought up something that I hadn't written down, but i I want your two cents on, and that's you had brought up the 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 income and and sort of the money conversation what's a what's a really good way to get on the same page about income investments, money just in general, and how you plan on breaking that down because obviously that can be a very difficult conversation, especially if you grew up and your parents spent money on vacations and, you know, but, you know, the other parents were very frugal and didn't do that. And like, how does that look?
0: Absolutely. So I always say deal finances in percents because then it's not tip for tat and it's not, um, no one's concerned about how much more they're giving than the other, because you're giving the same, even if the number is different. So I say one of the most important conversations is, especially if you're gonna blend finances, is from the beginning, when you decide that this person is someone that is gonna be in your life longer term, maybe not even husband, but longer term, you open a joint savings account. It has to be a savings account and it has to be joint because neither party could take withdraw money from there without the other party's approval. And you both put in anywhere from 2 to 5%, depending how above your means or below your means you're living. Some people have a lot of disposable income. Some people don't. And so whether it's 2% or 5%, and you both weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly, up to you guys to decide, put 2 to 5% of your income in that savings account. That is the first money that you guys collect together to create something that'll be yours. It can be an experience. It can be a down payment for a really incredible trip. It can be a down payment for a house or an investment property. But again, because everybody's finances are very different. um, But that is the first investment you guys are making and financial commitment you're making to each other. And then let's say you're living together. Once you live in, if you are living with your person, having a very clear picture of each other's finances is paramount. And acknowledging that you're going to have different spending habits. I'm very generous with the people I love and care about. Danielle, I'm sure you remember and know. like There's no version I'm not generous to the people I care about. My husband... Would wear like he still has t shirts from high school and college that he wears. Like he just is the most frugal man I've ever met in the whole entire world. How we balance that out is that we have an account that is for the things of our household, all of our bills, everything that needs to be paid. And we decide 10% of my income and 10% of his income goes into that, which means. We did the math, that'll cover our bills, but both of us are contributing the same. Do you see how even though his number can be very different than mine or my number can be very different than his, we're both giving 10% to our, life, our, our livelihood. So that's bills, rent, electricity, all of those things, Wi-Fi. Then you have lifestyle. There, it's up to you. Anything from two to 5%. That lifestyle is 100% about going on trips, going on date night, um, buying each other cute gifts, etc. And then you have um, whatever percent, again, depending which percents you guys chose. But at that point, you should have a third that's your money. That third of your paycheck is yours. You can do whatever you want. And he has a third of his paycheck and he can do whatever he wants. So if you show up at your house with the Louie bag from that 30%, he can't say anything because all your other accounts, your saving is covered, your lifestyle is covered, and your bills are covered. So that is disposable income. But that is a real true way to identify disposable income. And same thing for him. If he wants to take his 30% and never spend a dime of it, great. He can save that even more. But that is when both parties are contributing financially to a, a relationship equally, but, and no one's feeling like the pressure of having to take care of the other and vice versa. And then having the freedom to actually do what you want with your money without feeling you know, judged or having an issue or having a fight about it. That is kind of my formula for not having fights about money.
1: I love that. No, I think that's super important because from the outside, you can say, OK, you have all the money to spend on your nice car and, and all these things. Like, is there a ring fund? Like, <laughs> like just to be like fully transparent, like, what, you know what I mean? Like where like I can see all your money up front in your lifestyle and your in your, in your nice clothes, whatever it is. And, you know, you can see myself getting Amazon packages and, you know, all these things and like going out with my girlfriends and a nice bag and whatever. And it's like, okay, well, you know, our anniversary is coming up or like, you know, are we going to go on a vacation this year? Like just having that openness and saying like, okay, let's put 3% every month, every paycheck into a, a joint vacation account so that we don't even have to worry about what the other is doing with their, with their free spending.
0: Exactly. You decide what percent it is and then you don't have to worry about it at all. It's just going in there and then when that account accrues whatever amount you want to do, whatever is next for you guys, then you take it from there. And I do think it's very important for women who are with younger men and want a nice ring, I think it's important to be upfront that they are not cheap. Nice, if you want a big ring, not nice, I, I take the word back you want a big rock it will be expensive and your partner should know that it is expensive and if you want a simpler ring um they should also know that too you know I have both because my life changed a lot being a mom and living on the cape and being there all summer um so I have a, a actually I have them both on I have a very simple gold band like 1940s style very thin simple gold band And then I have, you know, a gorgeous ring that Nick proposed to me with. And then I have, you know, my engagement, my, sorry, my wedding band that went with my engagement ring and uh, it mattered to me and he knew it mattered to me. And so I think women should definitely be clear and transparent about that and not expect that their person is supposed to know.
1: Right. Absolutely. We'll just randomly DM. (laughs) I I love it. No, that's
0: great. That's perfect. That's perfect.
1: Okay, I know I know we're short on time. I just have one other question that pertains to my life that I'm curious to see your two cents on on this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm fully invested in the idea and like I know that that's really at the end of the day what matters, but like just from outside chatter, like how do you feel about investing in something whether it's a business or a property or something with someone that you're not married to?
0: Yeah, so I think it's brilliant if you treat it like business so what people typically don't do is they'll invest with someone they're not legally married to not have any contracts drafted legally or uh, legalese that have to be addressed and then there's a breakup and it gets very ugly but the idea of doing investments not married is our whole entire business world Like that is how business (laughs) operates. Like nobody's married. Investors are not married to each other, but they have documentation saying if something were to go wrong, if we were to sell this asset, if we were to be acquired, you're going to get this percent, I'm going to get this percent. So, and I believe it's absolutely incredible to compound funds and investments with a partner because it'll help both of you guys make money, whether it's money you both get to use because you stay together or becomes divided after. If you could buy an investment property as co investors and you're not ma- legally married, like absolutely do it. You're just individual investors to an investment, whatever that may be. And you make sure your documentation is accurate. And for the record, Um, That does not have to have a lawyer. There are so many templates online for free uh, or under $150 that can make sure the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And you can have and grow in wealth and build uh, whatever you're looking to build uh, with your partner. And if you end them not together, sometimes, I mean, some of the best marriages ended and their businesses remained because they were so lucrative. I mean, business is business at the end of the day. When it breaks down is when it's under the guise of marriage and then everything's just 50-50 because legally that's just how the law sees it. But otherwise, I, so I'm very pro doing whatever will help you build whatever you're looking to achieve. So if it's wealth, generational wealth, um, affluence. Whatever you're looking to achieve financially, you should start yesterday.
1: Okay. Yeah. I just I I felt that way, and I knew you would feel that way. But there's just like external voices that chime in, and I would say that it's usually from a place
0: of protection because people don't look at things this way anymore. You know, ten years ago, twenty year olds were not thinking to invest together that were in intimate relationships. Before marriage, like the the concept didn't exist, so the expectation that you know everyone would just magically think this is a brilliant really idea is obviously flawed. But I would say that it's it probably is coming from a place. The chatter is probably coming from a place of protection and love, usually, um, and then it's dipped in usually poor delivery <laughs> and really bad form of communicating. Um, but with that is still the, the truth that there is love and protection coming from it. And if, and if you protect yourself, it still would be great investment period. Even, you know, especially my husband and I do real estate, we have a holdings company and and that's just totally on the side. And it's only a, a very, it's a very, very small portfolio. Um, but for us, it's a great way to generate income, passive income, not think about it. And, um, it's, it's perfect for our children. You know, when, when they're born, they'll have them and, and they'll get to grow them. And so, yeah, for us, we would have done that. I mean, married or not, like that was irrelevant.
1: Yeah. That's, that's our aim for sure is just to have that financial freedom. And we know that the earlier we start the, you know, the better it's going to be. So that's the aim in the future. Yeah, I always tell people, if you're young and you have the disposable
0: income to invest in a property, start with a multifamily, even if it's just two, because you don't have children, you don't need the cul-de-sac and the single family yet. Right. Buy your, invest in a two family, live there for minimal to no rent, save money and then you can sell that flip that or keep it depending where you are financially by the time you want the single family called a stack home and now you've just built yourself a mini real estate um portfolio with two homes and you can just keep building from there
1: right absolutely okay there's been amazing takeaways yeah. obviously thank you so much is there okay is there any one thing you would say as a takeaway for our audience before i let you go
0: yeah, I would say I would say two things. The first, because we covered a lot of topics. So I think the first I would say above everything, really be clear about what you want out of yourself and then out of your partner. Sometimes, many times, people want out of their partner what they actually want out of themselves. They want their partner to produce a lot of money because they don't have it. They want their partner to be very confident because they're very insecure. They want to feel doted and loved and all these things because they're not X. And so I would say, be very clear about what you want um, because you deserve it. You deserve whatever it is that you say you want, you deserve it, but you have to make sure that that's how you're showing up. So that would be my first. And then my second, and you know, it's kind of a model I live by and based on everything you've said and how I know you uh, well enough, I would say, you know, if your next big move doesn't scare the crap out of you, you're playing a small game. You need to have at least one, just one idea, vision, something to manifest that like scares you to your core. Because... That's how you know you'll always keep leveling up. You'll always keep playing the bigger game. I love it. (laughs) Well, it was so nice to talk to you. You
1: Um,
0: Thanks for having me. I'm very, very proud of you. This is so exciting. I wish you and Mitch the absolute best. And of course, you know I'm here if you need anything. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Millennial Project. Just because the podcast has ended doesn't mean the fun has to. Follow Danielle on Instagram at my friend Danny and subscribe for a new podcast every Friday.